Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 121. And sitting around our table in Studio C today, writer-producer Brian Robinson. What's up, John? Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello there. And our writer extraordinaire, Patrick Lucas. Hello, what's up? Okay, we've got a what's up is a lightning round. Viewer questions, we're going to do a little rant and rave towards the end. But first, some cars to talk about. Coming up on Motor Week, we have our Performance Coupe Challenge. And this was basically a head-to-head that we did once again with our friends up at Cars.com. Uh, between the M4, the Cadillac ATS-V, and also a newcomer, the Lexus RCF. Brian Robinson, everybody around the table, what happened? Um, well, obviously, since the uh, ATS-V coupe came out, the RCF came out, everyone compares it to the M4. So we, so we had to do it. Right. And uh, I think you could probably predict how it turned out. The M4 still... Uh, one, but the ATSV amazingly close, almost right there. Just a couple little things. Wow! Um, yeah, that and that is pretty darn impressive. Cadillac said yeah. they were going to do it, and yeah. they did yeah. it. Yeah. And the, really, the big thing the the M4 had carbon brakes, which was a huge uh, advantage. And I wouldn't say that's the only difference, but made a big difference as far as track work. And then the RCF was a distant third. Um, but that, that that was a little surprising because I mean we all loved the RCF when we had it by itself. So what was the big well, determiner there? The big thing, you know, obviously we it wasn't just track work. Uh, you know, we did some street time, and believe it or not, the RCF had the most brutal street ride, uh, unlike the other two, which have like the Cadillac's got magnetic ride control. Uh, the BMW has got adjustable suspension. The RCF, it is what it is, and it's pretty brutal for the street. Hmm. Um, and the V8 engine sounds great, um, but it was slow in a straight line compared to the other two, mm-hmm. despite having the most horsepower. It's got really low torque numbers, and uh, it was okay on the track uh, as far as keeping the R- RPMs up. But, you know, in straight line stuff, uh, it was way behind the other two. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. If you took away the, the BMW mystique, and then that's pretty darn difficult for people to do, and you just looked at three, three, these three cars, and you weren't going to drive them on a track or even on a track day, would you still rank them that way? Uh, I think I probably would. You could certainly make a case that the ATS-V would be a better everyday car. Um, but as far as when you get in the, BM, in the BMW, everything is just right. Everything's where you want it to be. Uh, ATS-V still got the goofy uh, touch panel controls. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I will, I will say the ATS-V on track, I, it impressed me more on track than on the street. I mean, it's got all, it's mm-hmm. a lot of goodies from the Corvette, the rev matching. We had one with a manual, which was pretty mm-hmm. impressive. It's got the uh, performance traction management, all the stuff from the vet. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty impressive track beast. What about you two guys? If you were the same kind of hypothetical question, you've actually driven all three of the cars at one time or another. Um, if you had to plunk your money down and it wasn't a matter of BMW mystique, would you make another choice or would you pretty much agree? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I appreciate BMWs for what they are, but 
I never really got on board with them. I would probably heavily drive the Cadillac and the RCF and make a choice. I really like the RCF because it's a newcomer. Um, it's the underdog. They obviously did a really good job first time out of the shoot. I found the seats in that car extremely comfortable, and uh, it just was me on a daily basis, I think. That grunty V8 growl and, and just the, the mystique of it is kind of cool. And the colors that comes in are cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I like it for all the wrong reasons. Patrick? Uh, I think they're all good in different areas um i I really like lexus uh interiors what they've done recently i guess i guess it probably started with when they redid the is but um i really liked the interior of the uh, rcf um it it was like sporty and uh you know very premium not quite stuffy luxury Mm -hmm. like bmws tend to be um uh cadillacs don't really do it for me interior wise but they are very comfortable and um enjoyable in terms of a daily kind of drive so I mean, I'd, I'd say they're all three pretty close. I don't have a clear – I wouldn't have a clear winner. I pretty much agree with the uh, the original rundown. I, I think – I really like what Cadillac's done with the ATS, but I also like with the fact that BMW has managed to take their performance for everybody series car and make it so amazingly civilized and get so much performance out of it. And I, I actually did notice when we had the RCF uh, how rough the ride was. So I, I think it's a, a good outcome. And they, uh, Another thing the M, mm-hmm. a lot of people liked about the BMW was the M modes. Yeah. You know, you get it set up the way you want. You don't have to go in and turn, adjust the suspension, and then adjust the steering or whatever. You get everything set up the way you want it for the track. You ride with the track, hit the M button, go to town. Hit the, you know When you got to leave, head home, you hit the other M button to bring up all your comfort settings or whatever, and that makes it easy. But, you know, the takeaway from this is that Mercedes doesn't have a, a lock on ultra-high performance uh, yet civilized cars anymore. There's uh, other players in the market that are a lot closer than probably any of us a few years ago would have thought they could be. It would have been cool if there was an Audi in the mix there, though. As well, right. so yeah. five. What would you have thrown in here if you could have had more cars? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could add an AMG C-Class, um, certainly an Audi S5, RS5. Yeah. Audi, you know, yeah, there are others, clearly. Yeah, I think the whole point was, you know, the M4 is the established leader. Here's the two newcomers. Two newest comers. That haven't been in the segment before. So, uh, yeah. Good test. Good comparison. Okay, let's move on now to uh, something else new, uh, a pair of cars. Uh, we've been waiting for quite some time for a Scion to kind of uh, bring out some new models. And they've been their sales have been lagging, and they've made all sorts of noise about trying to expand uh, into a, a, a larger uh, demographics. So they've launched uh, two cars at the same time. But very different cars. The IA, which is their first sedan, and the IM, another five-door uh, hatchback, uh, but with a difference. Uh, Benny, uh, I've seen the cars and sat in them. You actually went to the launch. Uh, yeah, give I us was some just details. at the launch in Santa Monica. The uh, two totally different cars, like you were saying, John. The, the uh, IA is pretty much a Mazda 2 sedan. It's built in uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also going to use that chassis on... Uh, the Versa? I believe you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. <clears throat> um, Not Versa. Uh, you were Toyota. thinking of Yaris. Yaris. Sorry. Thanks. Yeah. Um, that car is pretty cool. It comes with a – you can get either car in a six-speed or an automatic, but the um, the IA is a true automatic versus the IM is a CVT. Not a bad CVT, though. Um, the IM, to me, is probably my choice. It's a cool little five-door hatch. It kind of has some – 
Matrix flavor to it. It kind of looks like uh, like the Matrix to me a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's, it's based useful. on the TC, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. It comes in a lot of cool colors. Uh, really cool standpoint. Um, sales wise is they don't come the only options are transmission and color which is typical for scion and i think that's awesome it comes with just the right features that you need um the im's got its eyes set on golf which we all know is a great car but let's face it you you get a base golf it has nothing in it not even a backup camera that's true that's (laughs) true we love the golf but it is true you basically got to go up the go up the the chain give it two years you know when i I saw the ia i liked it because it was different and uh it was pretty aggressive for its looks and now that we are not going to get the mazda 2 here at least for the time being uh and and yaris will probably not be a performance oriented car i I liked it a lot but yet you look at it and you think there's sedans are dying you know nobody wants a sedan Uh, doesn't even matter whether you're young or old sedans are sitting on the lots going uh, waiting these days so i question whether or not it was a good move and whether it's a car that they're going to get much traction in i don't know um I am, I think, all the way around is is a more interesting car. But I did like the IA because it does have that Mazda simplicity on the inside. It works very well. Yeah, Scion certainly needs a boost uh, as far as sales. I'm not sure either one of these will provide it, but um, yeah, we'll see. Neither car seems to have the break out of the box originality that the brand has sort of established for itself. And and even if if you're an older buyer. You know, you you want something to, that you would think they would offer something that was a little bit out of the box. So nice cars, well equipped. Uh, we say in our our test, uh, you know, very very competent vehicles, but maybe just a little underwhelming. Yeah, not an XB kind of yeah kind of quirkiness too. Uh, okay, the next uh, vehicle we're going to talk about is not so much a vehicle. It's what's going on in um, the alt fuel business. And it's it's kind of sorry, to, sad to say, but, you know, gas prices are down uh, about a buck from a, a year ago. They're now forecast. They could be back to around two bucks nationwide, uh, probably except for California. Uh, by the end of the year. But Honda has announced that with their new Civic redesign, they're doing away with both the Civic Hybrid and their CNG model, uh, Both, uh, especially the CNG model, one that a lot of fleets have used, and we've lived with one for quite a while. And on top of that, there's been news in the last couple of weeks that the Chevy Cruze diesel is not going to come. We found out the Mazda 2 is, is not coming to the U.S. for a while. So with this cheaper gas, we're, you know, in fact that trucks are selling 52% in the last couple months of the market. What does this all mean for the market? What does this particularly mean for Honda? Where are we headed for the future, given that we still have these fuel economy standards to meet? What do you think is going on? I wouldn't read that much into it myself. Just because they're doing away with Civic Hybrid doesn't mean uh, they won't launch an all-new hybrid that would basically be a Civic Hybrid size or something so, something yeah, else so would i wouldn't read you know i wouldn't say this is the end of hybrids at honda and they're no longer heading that direction i just i think they they'd be better off you know relaunching the inside or coming up with a unique uh hybrid vehicle any other comments that does make sense um yeah i mean it's it seems kind of short-sighted but i know that a lot of i mean 
the way I guess the automotive industry works, that everything is so far in the pipeline and in the future that, you know, a lot of these cars are, it's not like they're abandoning it. You know, they've already been developed and built, and they're just not bringing them here yet. So, I mean, yeah, they're, if they're, they need to, they definitely have what they need to bring it back in a couple of years if gas goes up again. Yeah, they're not doing away with the technology. The, I mean, the Honda, the Civic Hybrid was never... Uh, a full hybrid anyway, or at least by definition, the way we look at a Prius. They are taking the Accord hybrid, however, which has been well received by the press, and they're moving that production to Japan, which is a little odd. And GM's going ahead with things like the new Volt and the Bolt electric car. So, as a matter of fact, they've got, what, 55 Bolts running around as test mules, and they're achieving that 200-mile range. Uh, and the new Leaf is going to have uh, new range. So I guess you could make a, a case that, that even though fuel-efficient vehicle sales are down, the manufacturers are trying to shift it so they keep the core of what they're doing. But obviously people want bigger stuff right now. I was surprised the cruise diesel didn't get a little more traction. I think part of it was it was like an old-school diesel. It wasn't like a modern I mean, I guess it was a modern diesel, but it sounded like a school bus. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. it, it was pretty yeah. clacky. Yeah. It wasn't, Very clacky. It wasn't at all like the you know Volkswagens yeah. or anything like that. I, mean, I don't know if that was part of the reason or if they just Maybe didn't market it, it well or, yeah. or what. But I, I would have thought that would have gotten a little more traction. So we'll see. The, uh, the automakers are kind of all hoping, and, uh, and I suspect they've already started to campaign for some delay in the fuel economy standards beyond 2020, uh, and it's going to – probably be up to whoever gets elected for president to decide whether that happens. So we'll keep you posted on some of the um, intricacies of the market. But right now, trucks and big SUVs seem to be king. Uh, Let's move on to our lightning round. And this is a time for all of us here at the table to have a couple of minutes to debate a trending automotive topic. Um, Okay, Hyundai. More and more noise is coming out of Hyundai that they're going to move ahead with a pickup truck. They showed the Santa Cruz compact concept uh, at the auto shows. They've been parading it around for a while. Good idea to look into a small kind of personal use truck uh, like the Santa Cruz. Will people buy it? I mean, it looks like it's going to be uh, a front driver based on, uh, you know, one of their car chassis. What do you think? Yeah, I'm on the record as saying that we definitely need small, affordable, fuel-efficient, uh, personal-use pickups. No one makes them anymore, and uh, I think the market is perfect for it. Uh, put the two-liter turbo in there. No mm-hmm. one cares if it's front-wheel drive. Just make it all-wheel drive. As long as it carries a de- something decent in the back. Yeah, yeah. so to a thousand pounds or five hundred pounds, you know, whatever. Yeah, it wouldn't have to tow much at all. Yeah. I, I think there's a big market for that. I was even in my in my dream. I picture even more competition i picture like take a honda fit and put a pickup bed on the back of it like an old brat yeah, yeah. super light duty because mm. you know just for somebody that wants just to garden throw with your it. gear in the back of it i mean not unlike uh you know what you used to do with a wrangler yeah exactly yeah i think if you know it'll all come down to pricing i mean that's why you know the big three got out of the small pickup game because the prices had escalated to where they were you know overlapping with uh, the full size. So if they can keep the price right, get the fuel mileage up there, I think it would be a, a big a, hit. A third vehicle in every drive. Patrick, you're the youngest person sitting at the table. What do you think about small pickup trucks? I mean, you're starting thinking about a family. You've got a dog now, you know, so oh, what do you think? I, which I think which family are you thinking about? <laughs> I think about the dog. Oh, right. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's a good idea. Um, 
Obviously, they're rumoring a diesel, but I don't know if that's a U.S. Yeah. thing or not. Um, yeah, I'd be into it. I mean, they take an existing car platform that they already have and modify it, and you got yeah. a, a usable storage space on a platform that's probably already pretty good to drive. I don't know if it would be a Sonata or a Lanta or out of I don't know what platform they would yeah, use. Where they get the Santa Fe platform. Oh, yeah. Remember the old Volkswagen pickups? Sure, yeah. Yeah, the, the Rabbit. The, they were fabulous. Yeah. They were they were a lot of fun. And yeah. the old Charger pickups? Remember those? And the old Charger pickups? Chevy no, Loves. Yeah. How far are we going back here? Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's hope they do it. We think there'll be a market. Okay. Uh, we're going to go on to a viewer question. Bill uh, is uh, not happy about uh, some, of the, some of the trends in powertrains and probably some of our comments, too. He says, please address the problems we, uh, related to turbochargers, uh, modern turbochargers and their maintenance. Everybody talks about them. It's the second coming. But you're still talking about smaller engines. And just because you're getting the better mileage, that better mileage isn't free. So what do you think about you know, turbos have made a comeback out of necessity, I think. Um, you know, in, back in the 80s when they were pretty hot, uh, they had lots of problems. Why is it any, any different this time? Well, let's say there's a lot more electronics involved as far as the operation of the turbos. And um, I can agree they're not free. You know, usually you're paying more for them. And... Uh, you're using premium fuel on a lot of them. So, but as far as their overall reliability, I don't. I haven't really seen anything. I wouldn't really worry too much about it. The, the biggest improvement is that all the modern turbos, where the old style turbos use basically oil uh, as your cooling agent, and when the engine would turn off and the oil, if it wasn't continuing to circulate, you had problems with bearings. Now they use water to augment that cooling. So that's uh, been a big thing. Plus, uh, direct fuel injection apparently also helps, too. So the engines run cooler. I think he's right in the fact that it puts a lot more stress on the engine. And, you know, who knows at 150,000 miles if that's not going to be a problem. But, boy, if you look at what Ford's been doing with the EcoBoost, they're having pretty good success with it. Yeah, lubricants have come a long way, too. That's true. So that's going to aid. So, you know, they do test these vehicles pretty thoroughly, Bill, and it's not free. But uh, on the other hand, uh, people are pretty darn happy uh, with the higher fuel economy, even with the lower gas prices. So it looks like smaller engines and turbos are here to stay. Don't fight the future. Yeah, I'm, I've got more confidence it's going to work now, basically because they had so much problems the last go around. Ford, the Ford's going to be in trouble more than anybody else. Yeah, that's true. That's for sure. The uh, Higher octane requirement is a bummer, though. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, that was kind of a Bill's rant and rave, but what about the rest of us? Anything else in, uh, hit your uh, uh, noggin in the last couple of weeks uh, that you want to talk Patrick's about? Got can't oh, wait. here he is. He's, just, <laughs> he's flipping his pencil between one hand and the other. Go ahead. Um, Hyundai replaces GM as the official NFL sponsor. <laughs> I don't. It's not a rant or a rave, but I just I don't know how, if I can buy that. If I'm every time I'm watching a football game, I see a Hyundai commercial. What's what do you got against Hyundai? They're making. I have nothing up. against Hyundai. They're making pickup trucks. Not, not, all, not mer- all American <laughs> yeah. enough. Well, no, it's not that it's American. It's <laughs> just Kia's been the NBA, NBA for years now. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I'm not ranting or raving. I'm just. 
presenting it. It is interesting, though, that the big three Detroit manufacturers, if you want to call it that anymore, which is hard to say, um, they are retreating from a lot of these sports events because they just don't want to pay the money. Well, this one was, I was just reading an ESPN article about it. Hyundai is apparently paying double wow. what GM pays. They're paying wow. like something like fifty million dollars a year or something like that to be <laughs> wow. the exclusive sponsor oh. for the, the, the NFL. I wonder if their vehicles have a lot of cool technology and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you do have to question how this pays off. I was about to say, is, yeah. is Hyundai already really successful? Or are they going to hope to be more? Well, they've been down. This? They've come back up now. Their sales are are doing very well again, but. You know, in this business, uh, when you – I don't know about you, but when I watch a, a professional sports, I'm watching the professional sports, and I barely pay any attention to the yeah. ads. Uh, except maybe at Super Bowl ads. time. Yeah. I think it's similar to, like, uh, sports owners. Yeah. I envision, like, all the heads of all these car and truck companies getting together at these meetings. <laughs> and then it's just like, a, well, I'm the – Chief sponsor of the NFL. And then the other one's like, oh, I'm the chief sponsor of the NBA. And I think it's just a big bragging rights thing, if nothing else. Well, look what happened over in, in Europe when Chevy spent all that money uh, to sponsor, what, Manchester United. And, and the guy that was responsible for that, he was shown the door pretty pretty darn quickly. Um, I'm sort of a, a little unnerved, and I think it's my age showing, about the labeling and, and sponsoring of everything in sports. I mean, from the stadiums to the you know the <laughs> names all over the, the uh, uniforms uh, or the shirt they wear. You can't get away from it. And does it detract from the sport or does it help? I guess that's the big question for uh, consumers. Uh, not to me. Probably helps the owners, I guess. That's the big thing. So you well, got to pay those it. huge salaries somehow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. And so Hyundai, just think about it. I wonder if Hyundai yeah. gets to pick the number of the players or the teams that no, <laughs> they support. I Probably not. No. Okay, that was a very good one. I want to wrap up this um, edition of our MotorWeek podcast, number 121. Thanks to writer-producer Brian Robinson. Of course, our road test producer, Ben Davis. Our writer, Patrick Lucas, who is also our podcast producer. Our audio engineer today, Jillian Kuchman. Jillian, thank you very much for making us sound halfway intelligent. And to our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. For all of us at MotorWeek, thanks for watching MotorWeek on public television and also on our friends over at Velocity for visiting our YouTube site uh, where we're doing now, what, over a million hits a month? Which is thanks to all Boom. of you that make That's that right. possible. Until next time, from all of us at MotorWeek, thanks for watching, listening, and just being with us on MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.